Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs. We're going to conclude our study this morning. It's been a great summer looking at Proverbs. I, I feel like I'm just now starting to get to understand the book, and, and we're leaving. So if you want to go to chapter 26, we're going to look at that later in the message in depth, um, but we'll be all over the place. This is our last message, so I, I packed it full uh, of all the Proverbs I could stuff in here. So um, we're going to close this series by taking a look at, at the fool. If you look through the book of Proverbs, you're going to notice that the fool is one of the most uh, central characters in this book. And so we're going to take a character study and look at what it means to be a fool. I thought it would be an interesting study until I studied it and realized that, great, I played the fool for most of my life. And so uh, there we go. I'm a fool. And uh, that's who's going to be presenting this message to you. But there is hope for the fool. And uh, I hope to, to communicate that clearly. So before we get in, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts right now? Our, our Bibles are open in front of us, God. I pray that our hearts would be open and, and not just the, the cleaned up church side of us, Lord. I pray that every corner of our heart would be open to you this morning, that you would expose us and that you would cleanse us and heal us. We're in need of your grace this morning, God. That's why we've gathered here this morning at church. So I pray that you would meet us here in a powerful way as your word is proclaimed. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's said that we're living in a, in, in a second golden age of television. The first golden age, of course, occurred whenever TV was popularized in the 50s and 60s. But with, our, with new platforms such as Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, you can keep going, uh, th there's been a burst of TV shows that, uh, that are hitting the market. Um, the, the television industry has boomed. We have more options than ever, and so they're calling it a second golden age. But if you're anything like our family, and, and you might not be, I have a weird family, but whenever we sit down to watch TV, we are drawn to shows from the previous golden age. Let's watch Andy Griffith tonight, how about that? Or Little House on the Prairie, or the occasional Bob Ross. You know you love Bob Ross, come on. Now I realize these old programs gave us an unrealistic picture of life. Mayberry was idyllic even for the 1950s. But here's what I like about these shows, the old shows. It was okay to be normal in the old television shows. Uh, the, the, the main characters, they had families, they, they were concerned about the community, they had jobs, they had good lives, they were interested in raising their children. That, that's what the old shows presented us. On today's shows, everyone is a fool. Try watching a TV show this fall if you can stomach it, a, a sitcom particularly, and try to find a normal character. You can't do it. They, they hardly exist anymore. Folly is normal. We live in a world that glamorizes folly, and that's clearly seen when you look at an example like TV, but it's everywhere. We're just a few months away from cranking up another presidential election. Are you ready? You will see a, uh, just a, a, a prime example of foolishness if it's anything like our last one. In a few months, you, you will gather with family and friends at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and there's a chance you might gather around the table and experience folly, foolishness. If you get bored in this message and you casually scroll through Facebook, you're gonna find foolishness there as well. Every post, every image, it seems like is foolishness. Our world loves folly, but according to the Proverbs, that's not a good thing. The fool, as I've said, is a major character in the book of Proverbs. Solomon painted a picture of a fool 3,000 years ago, and it is remarkable how much this picture looks like a 21st century American. I simply want to look this morning at, at a few character traits of the fool, and then we're going to see how the Bible offers 
hope for the fool. That's our outline. A few character traits and then hope. But, but first, we need to define it. What is a fool? Maybe you have an image of your head as a bumbling idiot that's trying to you know, manage his way through life. What is a fool? It only takes Solomon seven verses for us to be introduced to the, to introduce us to the fool. Proverbs 1, 7, it's kind of the key to understanding the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, on the other hand, what? They despise wisdom. They despise instruction. They reject God. I, I, I don't need anything else. I don't need to learn I don't need to submit myself to any authority. I have everything I need to live in my own mind, in my own heart. They reject wisdom. Psalm 14.1 says it about as clear as it, as it can. And Proverbs 14, or Psalms 14.1 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so we could say it this way. Foolishness is a way of existing in a world in which God doesn't exist. Foolishness is a type of existing on this planet in which God doesn't exist. And so it's not surprising then to see folly on full display in our world, in 21st century America. If you remember, our society, the Western world, kicked God out of the universe. We'd rather live without you, God, is, is what we said. And so now, what do we have? Folly, foolishness. How do you navigate this planet, God's planet, without God? Through folly. It's cruel, it's ugly, but it gets the job done. It's one of the harsh realities of living in a post-Christian society. Foolishness will just be on the rise. As much as we hate to acknowledge it, it's on the rise in our hearts as well. It flourishes in our own lives, even here in the church. So we need to look at it clearly so that we can name it and by God's help overcome it. So let's jump in the text. What does the Bible say about a fool? What does a fool look like? What does a fool act like? I've tried to organize this into just a couple of character traits. First, fools are self-protective. They're defensive. It makes sense, doesn't it? If God doesn't exist, if you believe that, then you must protect your dignity, your worth, your reputation, your status, your stuff. If God doesn't exist, the rules of evolutionary science must be true. Only the strong will survive. And if you go through life with that kind of mentality, you will be extremely protective. That is a foolish lifestyle. The fool, their, their personal department of defense, if you will, is a, is a highly budgeted, well-oiled machine. Look at Proverbs twelve sixteen. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. If you cross a fool, even accidentally, you, you like kind of cut off a fool or you, you say something that they don't like, man, you're gonna know it. You're gonna know it. When they're offended, God isn't there to defend them, so they take up the defense and it is often dramatic. Proverbs 29, 11, the fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A few weeks ago, Josh Hayes uh, gave me a tutorial on his big green egg. Anybody have one of these or familiar with this wonderful work of human ingenuity? It's a, a marvelous grill that smokes meat wonderfully. At the bottom of this grill is a vent, and that's the key to understanding how this grill works. If you open up the vent fully, air is going to come in, and it's going to give that fire full vent. The fire will rage. This is the picture that Solomon is talking about here. A fool gives his spirit full vent. When they argue, 
They open that puppy up and they let the fire burn. Have you ever been in an argument with a fool? Have you ever been the fool in an argument, maybe? <laughs> Can you admit that? Proverbs 17, 12. Man, this is some of the most vivid imagery on the fool in the Proverbs. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool and his folly. You could be walking in the woods and come across a bear, an angry bear, and you would have better luck rationalizing with that bear saying, all right, settle down, it's okay, let's find your cubs. You'd have better luck rationalizing with that bear than you would a fool when his fool is in his folly. Do you take every fight to a level 10? You just crank it up. You can do that. That's an effective way to win some arguments. Did you know that? Like if you scream at people, they, they can be quiet. It works. This is why folly exists. This is why people resort to foolishness. Man, I could take every fight in my home to a level 10. I could buy some, win some uh, arguments, buy some peace, but it's a horrible way to, to build a family. Do you hear that? If my kid spills something on the carpet, accidentally even, I can burn and go, how dare you do that? <laughs> Bust a blood vessel in my head. You know what? She might not spill stuff on my carpet anymore. But here's the deal. I, I save my carpet and lose my kid. It's not a good trade, but the fool will pay the price because the fool's not thinking about other people. The fool's thinking about his stuff. Now, this doesn't mean that every fool's a rage monster, like that will like just fire up. There are sophisticated fools as well. And these are just as deadly. Proverbs 23 says it this way. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. So yeah, you might not raise your voice, but you could still be a fool in your arguments. You could nag constantly and eventually people are gonna go, okay, I give, I'll do what you want. Or you could give the silent treatment. Have any of you ever been given the silent treatment? It's effective, isn't it? That's why fools use it. I found that I don't have to punch a hole in a wall to get my way. I have found a sophisticated way um, to, to win an argument. I believe that God has given me the ability to consolidate and process information very quick, quickly. One of my spiritual gifts, if you will, which is very effective when it comes to writing a sermon. I can read through 31 chapters of the Proverbs and consolidate a few points on the fool. But here's the problem. When I bring my spiritual gift and twist it in an argument, it's foolish. My wife and I found out early on in our marriage that I was very good at this. When we'd be getting in an argument, I would consolidate all of this and craft it in my head into a wonderful narrative with three points that all began with the letter P and that were all neatly illustrated with an introduction and a conclusion and an invitation for her to repent. <laughs> that, that's an effective way to win an argument. It's not a fair fight. And it's absolutely foolish. It's absolutely foolish. Fools win fights, but at what cost? We're, we're winning fights, but we're losing people. Look at the second point. Fools are self-sufficient. So they're self-protective, they're self-sufficient. They don't need to go outside of themselves to find data. They don't need to think, listen, read, pray, consider, meditate. They have it all in their head. They just know the solution. They know what's wrong with you. Right? If you're in an argument with a fool, man, they, they know what's wrong with you. If you would just listen to me, you, I, you would change your perspective and everything will be fine. You're the problem. Proverbs 12, 15. 
the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. They just know what's wrong. This is why it's so impossible to get in an argument with a fool. Because you can bring like a, a, a really thoughtful point, a, a well-balanced, humble perspective. They're not gonna listen. It's a threat to them. Look at this verse, Proverbs 29, nine. If a wise man has an argument with the fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. They'll brush off a good point. It's too much of a threat. They're not gonna listen to you and consider what you have to say. Some of you live with fools and this verse hits home. You stress over every little sentence that you say. Man, if I just say it this way, if I, if, I, if I articulate it in this way, or you have an email in your inbox ready to send, if you're like, if I just get everything just right, I gotta make sure it's kind and compassionate. Listen, when you're dealing with the fool, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They'll just laugh at you. If that doesn't work, they'll rage at you, and they're gonna make you feel guilty for even trying. It's your fault, and you need to open up your eyes to see. That's the way that a fool responds. Proverbs 18 Two, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. They won't listen, but they take a lot of pleasure in expressing their own opinions. Sometimes it's hard to believe that the Bible's written thousands of years ago, isn't it? Solomon could have written this after watching just a little bit of cable news or sports radio. You can get a first-class education on folly if you tune in to the right things, to cable news, sports radio. The, the hosts and expert panels, they don't find any pleasure in understanding. When's the last time you were watching a, a talk show and the host goes, that's a brilliant point. I'm gonna have to change my perspective on that. They take no pleasure in understanding. They take a lot of pleasure though in creating a, a, a zinger of a soundbite that will go viral to say, hey, I humiliated my opponent. That's foolish. And if you tune into that kind of material every night, guess what? You know what? You're gonna bring that into your relationships. Instead of listening to your family, you're gonna go, boing, I gotcha. That's not good. It doesn't work. There we go. Fools are self-sufficient. This leads to the third point. Fools are self-defeating. They're self-protective. They're self-sufficient. But guess what? It's self-defeating. The great John Wayne said it best. He must have read the Proverbs. Life is hard. It's even harder when you're stupid. <laughs> Thank you, John Wayne. Here's the sad reality about a fool. It doesn't work. The lifestyle just doesn't work. Of course, it works in the short term. You can blow up on somebody and manipulate them and control them and get them to do what you want to do, but it doesn't work in the long run. You can freak out on your seven-year-old kid and buy some peace. When that kid gets old enough, they're gone. It's a sad, sad thing. Fools are so obsessed with their own problems and perspective that they force everyone away from them. In fact, Solomon advises at Proverbs 14, 17, leave the presence of a fool, for there you won't find words of wisdom. Proverbs 10, 1 is a hard one, and, and I think I'm grasping it this week. A foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. What does that mean? I believe that a fool pushes everybody out of his life except for his mama. She's stuck with him. But she's gonna be heartbroken over the folly of her child. 
She's sad for her boy. It's a self-defeating lifestyle. It just doesn't work. And, and here's the tragedy about it. The ir- irony, I should say, about this lifestyle. If you go inside the mind of a fool, it works for them. They get results. They blow up on you and you change. And so they keep going after this. But it doesn't work in the long time. Their yelling and manipulation gets results. And so they're always controlling and correcting instead of listening and learning. But they don't actually help anybody. The only thing that they bring to the table, that they bring to the world is more folly. Proverbs 14, 24, the folly of fools brings folly. It's profound if you, if you, if you let, it sounds like a simple statement, but just, just like suck on that like a piece of hard candy this afternoon. The folly of fools brings folly. You sow folly and strife into all your relationships. When the harvest comes, you're gonna reap folly and strife. That's the fool. <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> We've laid it on thick this morning. What do we do with that? That's hard. It's terribly convicting. It's a heavy character study because I think all of us have played the fool at some time or another. The Proverbs also say that folly is bound up in the heart of a kid. That's why you're going to see a lot of these character traits in your children. It's bound up in the heart of a child. And I'm not sure it ever leaves us. I think it sticks with us especially when we're immersed in a culture that just feeds on folly. Is there any hope for fools to change their ways? Yes, there's always hope. It's a dim hope, and the longer that a fool stays in his folly, the harder it will get, but there's always hope. It's why we've gathered at church this morning. And so if you have your Bible, look at Proverbs 26. This is an important text, and it shines a little bit of hope into the life of a, of a fool. So this chapter is a sharp rebuke for the fool. Really what he's doing in the first 11 verses is what I've just done. These are the nasty character traits of a fool. It's it's impossible to live with them. Answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool. Like you can't live with them. You can't win. Like uh, they, they, they spray arrows. They spray their weapons all over the place. Like a dog that keeps returning to his vomit. Yuck. The fool can't leave his folly. Solomon is showing us it's helpless for a fool. But wait, look at verse 12. All of that sets up this wonderful verse. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So the door's cracked open for a fool to receive salvation. There is hope. If a fool can muster the words, I might not be right. I was wrong and I'm sorry. If the fool can say that, his life would entirely change. Now that's a painful admission for a person that has built his life on the premise that he knows everything. But if he can admit his lack of self-sufficiency and acknowledge his need for God and say, I'm not wise in my own eyes and I am in desperate need of wisdom and for healing and for grace, he will experience that healing. God will be with him and can change him. Proverbs eleven two. When pride comes, then disgrace. It, it doesn't work. But listen to this: with the humble is wisdom. This is God's brilliant plan. God will exalt the humble. Jesus said that the meek will inherit the earth, not the the strong and powerful. The meek. And so, if you want to learn to navigate this world with skill, with wisdom, with chokmah 
The Hebrew word here for wisdom, if you want to learn how to live well, you can only experience it in the power of the gospel and you can only receive the power of the gospel when you humbly lay down your life. Tim Keller says it well, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. That's the key to wisdom. And so for the rest of our time, as we close up, I just want to see how the humble, spirit-filled life stands in contrast with the way of the fool. If you do believe there is a God and you can trust him, you can respond so differently. It looks weak, but it is so powerful and it is so wonderful. So first, we saw that fools are self-protective. They always defend their own hearts and their own position. How does a humble person respond to critique? When a humble person is offended, what do they do? Look at Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. When the spirit of God enters into your life, he makes you slow to anger. You keep that vent shut because you know the damage it can do. Yes, it'll get you results, but it'll also hurt people. And so if the spirit of God dwells in you, you can, you can, you can settle down a little bit. And then look at the second line of that. It is his glory to overlook an offense. We sing a lot about glory this morning. When you imagine a, a glorious scenario, you probably think of yourself doing something heroic in the center of attention, the limelight. The Bible says, if you want to experience glory, overlook an offense. That's your glorious moment. The Bible says it's a glorious thing to overlook petty offenses. Listen, this world is a frustrating place and until Jesus returns, you will be perpetually frustrated. As long as you drive on a road, <laughs> you will get cut off. Probably even by me, I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a blue car I swerved in front of in front of Wendy's yesterday and I'm like, I'm preaching tomorrow, I shouldn't have done that. If that was you, I humbly apologize. You're gonna get cut off. Do you hear that? And this is the part where my wife would be elbowing me. It is a foolish thing to burn in anger. Just overlook it. That's your glory right there. As long as you live in a house with another person, with another soul, you will be frustrated. Overlook it. It's your glory. As long as you have a job, you will be looked over, passed by, left out. You're just gonna not get invited. You're gonna have to sit out of a meeting. You're gonna be devalued. You can let it burn or... You can go to the word and say, it is my glory to overlook an offense. Did you know that the Bible is filled? If you go to the Psalms, one third of the Psalms are laments. You know what that means? Prayers for just this thing. You get offended, you get hurt, somebody wounds you. And instead of fighting back, you go to the word and say, God, vindicate me. That's what the Psalms are for, is so that we can pray. That's how a wise person exists on this planet. We have a God we can go to and entrust our souls to. That is our glory. What if Jesus didn't overlook offenses? He would have never made it to the cross. You spit on me? You wanna do it? You wanna go? Like he would have never made it up to the cross. But Jesus perpetually overlooked offenses. That's the only reason we're saved this morning, is because our Savior overlooked offense. What offense do you need to let go of? That's your glory. Second, we saw that fools are self-sufficient. They don't need to learn. They don't need to listen. They have everything in their own mind, their own heart. 
They take no pleasure in understanding you. God teaches us a better way. Humble people love to listen. They take pleasure in understanding. They know that they don't know everything, and so you know what they do? They engage their ears, the most passive body part, they engage their ears before they engage their mouths. There's no way I could possibly know how you're feeling right now. Tell me. There's no way I could possibly understand your perspective, but I would love to know. They don't do this out of self-discipline to set it up for the attack. They, they do this because they take pleasure in learning. That, that's the Jesus way. That is the better way, the spirit-filled way. You know you're in the presence of a wise person when they ask you good questions. You ever been around somebody like that? That's a wise person. May we become a church that asks good questions. Is there a better gift you could give to another human than to take genuine pleasure in getting to know them? Looking them in the eyes and saying, tell me, how do you feel? What if we evangelize this way? I think most of us feel like evangelism is all about the speech, all about the presentation, but I think good evangelism begins with the ears. I really do. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit down with somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus and go, tell me the home you grew up in. Tell me about your mom and dad. How did that impact you? I bet that was hard. What, what do you think about this verse? I've been, I've been wrestling with this verse. What do you think about this right here? Can you, if we took genuine interest and cared about somebody else, I bet they'd be more receptive to our own position. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And here's the best part, the part that I've been waiting on. In conclusion, the foolish life is self-defeating. It doesn't work. Yes, it's, it's scary and it's intimidating. It's like a shadow on the wall that freaks people out, but soon enough the lights come out on and, and you realize it doesn't work and you'll be left alone. It doesn't work because it's based on a wrong assumption. It's based on the assumption that God doesn't exist or that God is not powerful in your life and you need to defend yourself. But here's the truth, God does exist and he does demand your allegiance and your respect. And he's told us that greatness is not achieved through power, through money, as Jim just talked about a moment ago, through yelling, through manipulation, through sending nasty texts and messages to other people. That's not how greatness is achieved. It's achieved through humble, humility, humbleness. It's a paradox of our world, but it's absolutely true. Pride will lead you to destruction, but humility will lead you to honor. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Do you believe that? Will you believe that? That's the truth. It's throughout the entire Bible. If you need help understanding how this plays out, how this actually works, look no further than the life of Christ. He was God. He existed in heaven and he, he gave it up. He gave up his throne to take on the form of a servant. He was born in a lowly manger. He grew up in a podunk town. He had no beauty that we should desire him, as Isaiah said. He, he never resorted to foolishness. He never once treated someone like a fool. He was the perfect embodiment of wisdom, and that meant that he was extremely humble, so humble that he died on a cross, and yet, listen to this, God exalted him. 
God brought him up from the, the grave and as Philippians 2 says, he exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That is the brilliant wisdom of God. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And if you want to be used in your life, you must, if you want God to use you, you, you must humble yourself before the Lord. I'm done, but let me just try to bring it home. This message has been terribly convicting to me. I believe that God exists. I'm, I'm a pastor. I believe that. And yet what I, I found out this week is that there are places of my heart that I'd like to control. I'll take care of that myself. I don't need God here. And you know how those little places always manifest themselves? This foolishness. I get defensive. I, I flare up. I, I nurse grudges. There's parts of me that just, that don't want to give over to God. I would imagine that some of you feel the same way. Maybe as you look at the fool in the Proverbs, you say, ah, God has revealed some foolish areas in your heart. And if that's the case, I don't want you to ignore it. The fool will want to silence that voice and move on, but the, the more that you silence it, the harder it is for you to actually change. And so this morning, if you've been convicted, I want to give you, I just want to implore you to have the courage to repent. Say those life-giving words, I, I might not be right. I don't know the answer. But I know this, I've been mean and I've been cruel and I've let my anger burn out of control and I have harmed you and I'm so sorry. Have the courage to say that. Or as Proverbs 30, 32 says, if you've been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been, if you've been devising evil, listen to the advice that he gives. You ready for this? Put your hand on your mouth. Just be quiet enough to say, listen, I talk way too much. For the next hour, I'm not gonna say a word I'm just gonna listen to you. Would you please tell me your entire perspective over this two-year conflict that we've been having? I'm not gonna say a word. I just wanna listen. I won't react. You know what might happen? Your life might entirely change in that moment because you'll hear for the first time and you'll understand the pleasure of getting to know another soul. That will make you look weak, but that's exactly the point. It's that humility and that weakness that leads to healing and grace and strength and power. It's a hard thing to do and it's why you reject it so much, but it's exactly what your heart needs. I wanna encourage you this morning, humble yourself before the Lord so that at the right time, he will exalt you.